thank you both for that. Sometimes he's the lighthouse and sometimes he's the ark. So, speaking of that, we're going to continue on our uh, study of the book of Genesis. In particular, a familiar story of Noah and the flood today. So we're going to read both uh, chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Genesis. When you find chapter 7, would you please stand for reading God's word? For two chapters, I hope you got your good shoes on today. <laughs> got that crock pot on low. <laughs> now I'm just saying, if you can make a whole sermon out of two verses, what are you going to do with two chapters? <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. <clears throat> chapter 7, Genesis chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark. You and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain, rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, went entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that, that swam on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark and God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated, 
And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. And he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom and the privilege of being able to gather together for public reading and public study and worship. Lord, we are thankful to be together as a body. We pray that you enable all of us to um, encourage one another, love one another, lift one another up as we together seek to honor you and give you the glory and praise that you are due. Enable us now to do that in in, uh, being attentive to your truth that we have just heard read. Lord, we're asking for proper understanding of these things, how they are relevant to us, how they point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're asking for right application so that we may take these things, understanding that this is your truth, your truth revealed. And that it has direct implications for each of us. So enable us to take these things and apply them correctly in our own lives as we seek to walk with you as Enoch and Moses, or Noah rather, walked with you. Lord, that's our desire as well, to be known as one who walked with God. And Lord, may all these things bring glory and honor and praise to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. I think there's a 
great deal of uh, encouragement in this passage, and, and, I, and it seemed to me to be important to, uh, to get it all together. Um, obviously, there's a lot of information there, and there's a, a lot of things we could um, spend a lot, a lot of time on talking about, and, and we may come back to some of it, probably will. Um, but uh, it seemed to me good to get the whole account of the flood, uh, pretty much, anyway, in, in one one bite and uh, see what God is doing here. Because uh, I think there's great encouragement in this passage for um, people living uh, in a perverse or among a perverse generation. Now, some of you, you know, when, when I say that, uh, some of you like me. I mean, your mind's going to go immediately to uh, some of the things that are making headlines today and say, wow, we are, we're living in a perverse generation uh, and that's good. I mean, we ought to we ought to think that way because we ought to understand that God's word is relevant to our own lives and to our own situation. And it's true that uh, a lot of things going on in our culture that uh, we think of in terms of, of moral decline and uh, secularization of the culture. Uh, so yeah, I think it's 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 right to look at it that way. But also, let's understand that just in general. We are strangers in a foreign land as Christians. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Like if you, if you think of your ideal for America, I guess let's just say it that way for a moment. Think of your ideal for the culture around us, and then remind yourself: even if it were like that, it's not my home. <laughs> And it's not a place where I'm really intended to feel at home. Because again, it's as a Christian, it, it's not. It's not our home. We are strangers in a foreign land. And so um, there are analogies to be drawn and lessons to be learned and implications to, uh, to take from these stories like this one, Noah, and uh, later... Um, Lot, for example, um, and, and Sodom and Gomorrah. There, these things are recorded for us that we might learn from them. One thing, that we might uh, learn to live godly, right, in, a, in an ungodly setting. And that's one of the big things we're seeing here. There's quite a bit of emphasis put on the righteousness of Noah, the character of Noah. In fact, uh, let me just for a moment go back to the to the last chapter and look at um, chapter, uh, verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And then you get over to our text today, chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, and you, you and all your household, for I have seen that you, are a right, that you are righteous before me in this generation. So, and, and we've already seen last week how God viewed the generation, the, the, the people that Noah was living among, corrupted. In fact, that, that word is used several times. They were corrupt. They corrupted the earth. And the earth was filled with violence. Rather than, rather than fulfilling the divine mandate, be fruitful and multiply, rather than um, fulfilling that, 
by filling the earth with God's glory, they were multiplying, but they were also multiplying sin at the same time. And it's in the midst of that setting where the whole world in terms of people is corrupt that the spotlight shines on Noah and we're told Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. That is this generation that is so corrupt. In that generation, Noah stood out as righteous and blameless. Well, and I think one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that these things are being recorded for us is because um, it is relevant for us. Now, think of it this way for a moment. Moses is understood to be the author here. And Moses is, first of all, writing to his own generation. So, centuries after these things happened with Noah, and by the way, just to make sure we're clear here, um, this is history. These are real events that really happen. It is, it is accurate. It is an accurate historical account. But it's not merely history for the sake of information. It is history given to us to teach us, to encourage us, right? So again, think of Moses in his setting. He's writing these things, these things, no doubt, his first concern is with um, his generation. In other words, as he's writing and recording these things, he's got his readers in his own day in mind. So what's he wanting to teach them? And you think about that whole situation, which Lord willing we'll come to later, but uh, you think about that whole situation. Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt where they were oppressed and lived as slaves, takes them through the wilderness for 40 years, right? And then into the promised land. But even when they get into the promised land, um, and actually it's not Moses that takes them in, but Joshua, but even when they get into the promised land, there are battles to be fought. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament and right up into the New Testament, um, the Gospels, for example, where Israel is uh, existing under Roman rule, for the rest of their history, they are having to deal with the perverseness around them. Now, and it's true, sometimes they were the ones being perverse as well, right? They, because they weren't um, walking with God as they, as they should have. So here are the implications. Moses is writing this, no doubt, with his generation in mind, thinking this is going to help them. Wherever they are at this point that Moses writes these things, this is going to help them get through the wilderness. If they will do what Noah did, walk with God. Be righteous in the midst of a perverse generation. Be blameless. This is going to help them get through the wilderness. Or this is going to help them deal with the pagan Gentiles around them. And that works the same way for us. As we're, here we are reading it again centuries later, a millennia later after Moses wrote these things for his people. But it works the same way. There's encouragement here for us on a couple of levels. One, it's encouragement for us, right, to live godly in an ungodly world. 
So, so even if the whole world is going down the tubes, like it seems to be a lot of times, um, our responsibility is to walk with God. Walk with God. To live upright, righteous. That is, lives that reflect God's character. To be righteous and blameless, living before God in a perverse generation. So there's great encouragement for us here to, to, uh, to do that. And, 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 and hold on, because it's not just, well, you know, what if I'm not strong enough? What, well, there's also great encouragement here in that God enables us to do that. And I think that's really the bottom line point. In fact, I usually try to give you a sentence that kind of sums up the main point. So here, here it is for today, for, for chapters 7 and 8. Very simple. God is faithful to His covenant promises and able to rescue His people out of all trouble. God is faithful to His covenant promises and able to rescue His people out of all trouble. Since the garden, there's been a decline. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They rebelled against God. And, and what is the fruit of that? Well, Cain kills Abel, right? And then we talked about the violence of Lamech and so forth. And then God's own view of the whole earth where he once said, it's all good, it's all very good. Now he looks down on it in chapter 6 and says, it's corrupt, it's corrupt, it's all corrupted. The whole earth is corrupt. And yet, in the midst of all of that, and even with God determining that he's going to wipe out every living creature on the face of the earth, everything that has the breath of life, people and beasts alike, even in the midst of that, God preserves a people to him self. A few weeks ago when all the flooding was going on, one of my co-workers told me he managed to walk out of his neighborhood. The streets were flooded. You could, you could walk along the yards. And he said he went to a fast food restaurant and uh, got something to eat and sat down for a while. He said, because that was a little strange, you know, just water everywhere. He said, I just had to get out of there for a while. So you can imagine, and, and, you know, and that was just mainly the streets being flooded, and it was a big neighborhood, but it was one um, neighborhood. Actually, there were several that were flooded, but, but you know, you could go outside those neighborhoods to dry ground. Imagine the whole earth underwater. That'd be a little discouraging, wouldn't it? <laughs> and, there's, and there's not a refuge you could go to as far as, well, you know, we'll just go get a hotel room and wait this thing out. I mean, Noah couldn't do that. The whole earth is underwater, and yet God makes a way to preserve Noah and his family by means of the ark. So God is faithful to his covenant promises and able to rescue his people out of trouble. His intention from the beginning was that he was going to fill the earth with his glory by creating a people who would glorify him. Walk with Him. And even when things got as bad as they did here in chapter 6 in the, uh, before the flood, um, He still kept His promises. He's faithful. Now, we, we do need to note this. God is serious about sin. God is serious about 
sin. Now, this, this is one, one of the things that we, we have to discuss, that we have to talk about, that the world does not like to hear. But, um, you know, Peter calls Noah, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter calls Noah a, a proclaimer of righteousness. And so, um, you, you have to, I know there's a little bit of speculation involved here. Um, I'm, we, we don't have a record, in other words, of Noah's preaching. But I think it's probably safe to assume that part of what he was doing there was warning people, right? Warning people. Rain's coming. Rain's coming. Uh, in fact, you know, you can kind of imagine some people coming along that are seeing what he's doing. What are you doing? I'm building a boat. Uh, well, what's that about? Yeah. Well, because God said to, because he's going to send rain, he's going to flood the earth, and everybody in the boat's going to be safe. Everybody outside the boat's going to be destroyed. If he was doing that, Nobody listened, and only he and his family, eight souls, were saved. Well, again, in our day, that's a lot like it is, isn't it? We're, we're trying to, to tell people, God is serious about sin. And usually what we get in response is, well, you're just judgmental. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. We, we do want to be extra careful that we don't deserve that charge because it is easy to cross that line. So we, we want to pray. Pray, pray for grace. Like Paul says in Colossians, that, that we might have uh, grace in our dealings with those who are outside. But even if we say things right and have the right motivations, a lot of times what we get in response is, oh, you're just an alarmist. You're, you're, or you're just... You just you're judgmental. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, you know what you remind me of? You remind me of those people that quit smoking and then they want everybody else to quit smoking. <laughs> well, you know, maybe somebody gets lung cancer and they go around encouraging other people to quit smoking, but maybe because they don't want them to get lung cancer, you know? And maybe what we're doing is warning people because we don't want them to fall under the wrath of God. Because we know God is serious about sin. In fact, Paul said, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade all men. Look for a moment in verse um, 20. The water, I'm chapter 7, I'm sorry. Chapter 7, verse 20. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And by the way, this is one reason that um, the language here is pretty strong. I mean, I think what we're, what we're talking about is a global flood. A lot of times people say, well, it's probably just regional or something like that, which, I mean, that's a possibility, but I, I don't think that's the way that Scripture talks about it. And not only that, but we have histories from other cultures like, um, and from other uh, traditions like the, the uh, Bab- Babylonian tradition. Um, and so forth, that also speak of a uh, great flood. All the details don't line up. You know, they are what I would consider false records of the flood. But just the fact that these other cultures have a memory, preserved a memory of a, of a flood like this is, uh, I would say, strong evidence uh, outside the Bible that um, it was a worldwide flood. And I think the language here testifies to that too. Of course, this is what matters most because this is God's Word. 
The waters prevailed, prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. I mean, that just seems pretty uh, all-inclusive to me. Verse 20, The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep, and all flesh died. All flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He, that is God, verse 23, God blotted out everything that was on the face of the ground. God is serious about sin. He is serious, to say it another way, about uh, rebellion, because that's the heart of sin, pride. That's the heart of sin. God is serious about pride of man, rebellion against, against Him. He literally um, uncreates, you might say here, uncreates creation. And by the way, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I want you to notice that uh, that, that is going on here. Genesis 1 and 2, you've got creation. Um, a lot of the same language is used here, even when it's talking about the different kinds uh, or categories of, of animals. Uh, a lot of the same language is used. So in Genesis 1 and 2, you've got creation narratives, and God is creating. For example, when He creates land, He creates land out of the water, you know, the whole, the whole earth is covered with water, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, and God commands the, the dry land to emerge out of that. The waters separate and the dry land appears. Well, now you've got a, an undoing of that. When God creates the dry land, then He puts all of the different categories of living creatures upon it, including man. Well, now He's wiping them all out. He's undoing all that. So you've got creation... And now with the flood, uncreation. And then, after the flood, recreation. Recreation. But once again, all of the categories of the animals, they come off the ark, all the ones that are preserved. The same mandate is given to Noah that was given to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So it's, it's, a, it's a new start. It's a recreation with the righteous. What do you think that might picture? <laughs> ah, that's foreshadowing something, isn't it? Yes, salvation in Christ and, and our eternity with Him and a new heaven and a new earth. Because just like the old world, in fact, Peter talks about this in his epistle, just like the old world was deluged with water, the, the world that you and I now know and live in will one day burn up with fervent heat. Or once again, God uncreates, except in a more complete way, and the wicked perish eternally. And then God recreates a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, right? Except this time, instead of one family pulled out from among the nations who are still, um, in essence, sinners, and we're going to see... Lord willing, uh, after the flood, they don't get off to a real good start. (laughs) 
in terms of being righteous uh, or, or, you know, walking with God. But instead of one family doing that, when we get to that day, the judgment day, there's going to be myriads of those who have been saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ. And this experience of sin is actually removed from us. So in the new heavens and the new earth, which we look forward to, righteousness is there in the, in the truest, fullest sense. So anyway, I want you to see that, that going on here. God is now uncreating because of His displeasure with the sinfulness of man. He is serious about sin. So serious that He brings total destruction. Several times here He uses the phrase, uh, blot out, blot out. And that's exactly what he does. We're told in verse 23, he blotted out every living thing. So instead of, like back in 1 and 2, creating every living thing, here he blots out every living thing. But Noah found grace, right, in the eyes of the Lord. And he and seven members of his household are saved. Now, another thing. The grace of God is effective. The grace of God is effective. And this is, first of all, grace, undeserved, unmerited favor, right? So when we talk about um, the grace of God, saved by grace, the grace of God upon us, the grace of God, I like to say, invading my life, it's, it's not because we're, we're better than those other people out there. Noah and his family were, were not somehow better than those that were Drowning in the floodwaters. So, why does it tell us then that Noah was righteous and that Noah was blameless? Well, I I think it's because of the grace of God on his life and he was walking with God in a sense that he was purposing to do God's will, living a life of submission to God. So, chapter 6, verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 16, God says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. And he gives instructions there for Noah to enter the ark. You see Noah's uh, obedience in verse 22, chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He did all that God commanded him. By the way, I think that's a a really good description of what it means when it says Noah walked with God or Enoch walked with God. They lived lives pursuing um, things that were pleasing to God. They, They did all that God commanded. In chapter 7, God goes on to give more instruction about what he's to do and about bringing all the animals in the ark. And then you get to the end of verse 8, chapter 7, verse 8. Verse 9, uh, chapter, chapter 7, verse 9, rather. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. So verse 5 says, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Chapter six, twenty-two. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 9. Noah did as God had commanded, and they all entered the ark. And verse 16 says, 
And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now here's this kind of balance, I guess, or, or um, I don't know if balance is the right way to say it, but it's kind of a, a, a paradox that we run into sometimes with obedience or, or you could say human responsibility and, on the other hand, the sovereignty of God. So, for example, if we're going to draw from this how to live godly in a perverse world, a perverse, among a perverse generation, how to endure to the end, will we say, okay, here's the answer. Be obedient. Or will we say, well, me enduring to the end depends on the sovereignty of God. And I think the answer is yes. If we're going to live godly in a perverse generation, we're going to have to be obedient. And the only way we're going to be obedient is if God empowers us to be obedient. We are dependent upon His power, sovereignly acting in our lives. So Jesus could say to Nicodemus, you know, you, you can't even perceive the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. You've you got to be born again or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, Lord, how, how, I got, let me take notes here. How do I do that? And then Jesus essentially says, well, it's a sovereign act of God that you have no control over. Well, see? So, if you're, if you, we've got to live obedient lives in this world. We're accountable to that. Obey God. Walk with God. Do everything that He commands. For us, here it is, okay? The, the Word of God. Live according to to the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And live it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And good luck. No. No. We, we do that with the assurance as born-again believers that God is empowering us, that God is keeping us. We go into the ark and then God shuts the door. God seals them in, so to speak. And that's the same way that it is with us. The grace of God is effective. When He, when he puts His favor on you, it will be effective. He's not going to take you halfway. You know, just yesterday, and this is not to be funny or anything like that. It's a true story. I just saw in the news just yesterday where a woman fell off of a cruise ship in the Gulf of Mexico. 30-something-year-old woman. You say, couldn't, couldn't that happen theoretically? Couldn't, couldn't Noah fall out of the boat? No. Couldn't I wake up one morning? I lost my salvation. No, not if you're sealed by God. Not if you're truly born again. 
So just walk with Him, right? Just obey Him. Just, Brother Carl used to say, just do right. That's a good way to sum it up, right? And trust God. Do right and trust God. Because God's grace is effective. One more thing I want to highlight here, and, and we're, we're done. In uh, chapter 8, first of all, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. Remember back in chapter 6, in fact, you look, look back at verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. And then as we just saw in chapter 7, verse 16, God shuts him in, and then you get to... Chapter 8, verse 1, when the rain ceases, God remembered Noah. Now, that's, that's, what that's not saying is that God had temporarily forgotten him. You know, sometimes I'm supposed to do something, I forget, and then later I remember. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. That's not saying that God did that. Oh, Oh, Noah, I forgot. Oh, the whole, you know, the whole world is flooded and Noah's out there on this boat. And, oh, yeah. No, it's, it's a way of saying that God is true to His promises. It's, it's a way that saying that the opposite is impossible. In other words, it's, it would be impossible that God would forget Noah and let him drown, lose Noah. Jesus said, all that the Father... Um, gives to me, will come to me, and I won't lose anything. I will lose nothing. I will raise them up at the last day. God remembered Noah. What Moses is doing here is highlighting the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God. (laughs) And this is a theme throughout the Bible, isn't it? Because man is just all over the place. God calls men into covenants and they say, you know, they'll all stand before God and they, oh yeah, we, 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 we want to do your will. We'll keep the covenant. Amen, amen. And then the next thing you know, they're off chasing after idols. But all the way through, God is faithful to His promises. God is remembering His people. They go in Egypt, He brings them out of Egypt. They go in Babylon, He brings them out of Babylon. <laughs> right? God is faithful to His people. We're in the world, but we're not of the world because we're citizens of heaven and one day God's going to take us out of the world into the new heavens and the new earth because God is a promise-keeping God. Now, here's the one thing left for us here. When the water subsides and it's all gone and they exit from the ark, you get to verse 20 and it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in all of his ways. He walked with God. He was in covenant with God. And when he comes through this trial, when he comes through this judgment, and is preserved all the way through it, he worships God like the scenario you see in Revelation 5 that we read this morning in our call to worship. But you know what? We, we don't have to wait, though, until we get there in heaven. We are called to be worshipers. Worshipers of the true God. 
And we've got a lot, a lot of reasons to worship Him. Peter said, God knows how to rescue the righteous out of trials. And you know what? He's doing that and He's going to do that. He did it with Lot. He did it with Noah. He did it with many other examples you could think of. He's doing it now with us. You, you, you go to Romans 1 and you read about, Paul talks about the wrath of God being revealed. And he's talking about now, in this present life, in the life that we're living. People are being given over by God to perversion because of their rebellion against God. And, and we are, Peter likens us to, to Lot. You know, Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah and being vexed daily by the ungodliness around him. But God preserved him in that and ultimately delivered him out of that because God is able to rescue the righteous. And Noah didn't survive the flood because he's a good swimmer. And not even because he's a good craftsman. He survived the flood because God kept him safe. Rescuing him out of trouble. And in the end, the first thing, you know, he comes off the boat, it seems here, the first thing is he builds an altar to worship the true and living God. Now think about that for just a moment. All you've got left on the world now is a family of worshipers. Of course, things change pretty rapidly, right? There's still sin. We're going to see that. But in the midst of all that, we are called to worship the true and living God. That doesn't mean just come together for an hour or so on Sunday. That means our lives should be a constant act of worship giving glory to Him, giving thanks to Him for rescuing us. Because, as I said earlier, He's rescuing us now as we're living in the trials. You know, here we are, you could say in one sense, living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and in the midst of it, God is keeping us. Peter says we're kept by the power of God unto salvation until that day. So God is keeping us, and ultimately He's going to take us out of here safely, kept by His power. Because... He saved us and He shut the door. And by His Spirit, He empowers us to live righteous, blameless, walk with Him. And ultimately, He takes us out of here safely. So, worship Him. And this is what I was meaning by the encouragement. Look, we face trouble all around us. We live in the midst of a perverse generation. Uh, it looks like to me the way things are moving, it's, it's going to get harder in our society for Christians. What is our hope? What is our hope of, of enduring, continuing to walk with God? What is our hope of life? I mean, Noah could have perished with everybody else, but for the grace of God. What's to keep us from perishing with everybody else? The grace of God. And it's a great hope. I mean, that's what the story of Noah is telling us. It is a great hope. Yes, God takes sin serious. 
You know what? He also takes grace serious. He knows how to rescue His people out of trouble. Would you stand, please? And let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, again, thank You for gathering us here today and uh, blessing us with this time to read Your Word and consider it together. Oh, Lord, we, we are thankful that You rescue, You save. Even now, Lord, we struggle with sin, not just outside, but inside us. And if left to ourselves, we would have no hope. We're so thankful for Your grace. Lord, we pray, grant us grace to live godly before You and before those around us watching. Grant to us grace and power that we may uh, be effective witnesses in our speech and in our conduct, that we may truly honor You with our lives for Your glory. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed.